Rock and Roll's Greatest Failure. Call Baby That's Really Me by John Otway. Read by John Otway. Call Baby That's Really Me. Chapter 10 While John awaited his first record deal, he continued working at British Rail as a booking clerk. As they were now proper recording artists, John and Willie started doing a few gigs together again. Optimism seemed to do the world of good for them both, and they were each making the necessary effort to get on well and put together a show that successfully combined Willie's playing talent with Otway's extravagant theatrical style. If John could not win the audience with the wild bit, Willie could do it with his bluegrass fiddle playing. This combination worked well at times. Willie seemed to be the one person who had any degree of control over Otway on stage. If Willie felt that what Otway was doing was wrong, he would do things like get a broom and sweep him off stage, or simply slap him around the head. On one occasion, playing late night at King's Cross Cinema, the duo were introduced by the MC. A big hand please for John Otway and Wild Willie Barrett. After they had played their set, he announced, Ladies and gentlemen, Willie Barrett and John Otway. At the end of the encore, he joined in the applause, saying, That was great. Thank you, Willie Barrett and his mate. Often people would walk up to Willie and say, Hey, you were really good. What are you doing working with that nutter? But there were also some good shows, where they both worked well together, and occasionally the embryo of a successful stage act could be seen. As the year wore on, it became obvious that the record deal that had been such a certainty was not going to happen quite as quickly as hoped. Pete Townsend thought that the big studio sound of the recording was probably a little too big for what was originally a pretty folky sort of song. But he was still interested in helping if he could. John Orwelly had discovered they could make some good demos by wiring together bits of the sound system that Willie had got from Bit to some old tape recorders. One week, when John's parents were away, Number 6 Sashgrove became a recording studio. Paul Kendall had bought himself a bass guitar, so was brought in to play bass. Paul Burt, an old school friend that several people, including John and Willie, had used as a roadie, was brought in as an engineer. Potter and France were brought in as spectators, and the whole lot moved into the house for a week. It was just as well my folks were away, John says. The whole place was worse than the zip episode. Paul Burt had turned my bedroom into the studio control room. There was a whole PA system, three grunding tape recorders, and masses of wire running down to the studio we built in the living room and kitchen. As well as the residential area, the dining room was full of amplifiers for the bass and things. And there were speakers around everywhere so Paul could talk to us from upstairs while we were recording. It was the end of a year that had its fair share of heartbreaks and trauma. And therefore, John had written quite a lot of songs. By the end of that hard week's work in Ashgrove Studios, they had about nine or ten reasonable sounding songs recorded. Early in the new year of 1973, John and Willie travelled up to Twickenham to play them to Pete Townsend. He was quite impressed and suggested that they record the most promising of the songs in the eight-track studio that he had built in his house. 
They were enjoyable times for the duo. Willie would pick John up from the railway station where he was working and he would travel up to Pete's place to record for the rest of the day. Eventually they picked a track that they thought sounded the most like a single and took it to Track Records, the Who's record company, who agreed to release it. The single was based on an instrumental Willie used to play called Hair on the Frets. John wrote some lyrics about his sad romance with Sue Reese and called it Lonely Man. Eventually everyone agreed that always lyrics could stay if he made the chorus a little less soppy and the song became Murder Man. A release date was set for the day before Good Friday and for the second time in his life John decided now he could truly afford to go professional. The next few weeks were fun. Both the Bucks Herald and the Bucks Advertiser wanted to do pieces on the duo's new record. Track Records called to say they had managed to get the record released in the USA. And John managed to get his own back on the record centre in Aylesbury. I want to order ten copies of my new record. It's on Track Records. The Who are on that label. Have you heard of them? He inquired sarcastically. That's shown them, he thought, as he handed over a fiver to the woman behind the counter. The day arrived and the record, along with about 200 other singles that week, was released. Steve Peacock, who remembered John from Hobble on the Cobbles, reviewed it in Sounds and called it a really nice single, one of the most delightful records of the week. While John Peel played it and said, It's a strange and lovely record. I hope it sells millions and that you like it. I think you will. In the end, the record shop that sold by far and away the most copies of the record was the Record Centre in Aylesbury. Otway's career took a couple of steps backwards. Pete Townsend had now started work on the new Who album, which was to become Quadrophenia, and had to cut down on his other commitments, including Otway and Barrett. And distractions in the form of romance had again entered into the life of our star. John had started going out with Patricia Trewarvers, a relationship doomed to failure, as Patricia was both intelligent and sensible. The next big event in the Aylesbury calendar was Rayburn's Rock, a free pop festival organised by Dave Stops in a field next to the sewage works. Quite high on the bill was to be the Pete Townsend-produced duo, Otway and Barrett. 2,000 turned up to the event, which was the largest audience John had played to since Hobble on the Cobbles. The fond memories of reading the sounds review came flooding back into John's mind, and while Willie attempted to hold the show together musically, Oway put the same energy into the show as he did in the Market Square two years before. Their own reaction to this performance shows an ideological split which was threatening this volatile duo. That was a turning point for us, Willie said later. I was so appalled by his performance. And it was a height of the period when people were coming up to me and asking, why was I working with an idiot like that? And I had no answer to give them. The Bucks advertiser praised Willie's expertise, but claimed that John was out of his depth. But Otway said, I was really pleased with it. I thought it was just like the old days, you know, with the wild Otway. John was not the only one to enjoy his performance that day, though. A young 16-year-old girl called Pauline Thompson had been watching his antics and fallen for him. It has always been rare for Otway to be greeted backstage by attractive young ladies, and John, because he was never loved by them when younger, had this complicated problem of falling in love with anyone who fell in love with him. 
For a while, John had to split his time between his career, Patricia Trewalvers and Pauline Thompson. This situation could not last, and, because of a lack of forethought on Otway's behalf, came to an abrupt end after his next major career move. This move managed to split up both Otway and Barrett, and John and Patricia, as well as getting him so deep into debt that it would take a hit record some three years later to get out of. That was the final straw for me. It was such a stupid idea that it's not worth talking about, said Willie.